May it please the court and Ms. <coughs> Chief Judge Smith. Uh, when considering <clears throat> specific constitutional violations, the district court lacked the um, ability to decide material facts that were case deciding, and it repeatedly made fact findings uh, of contested facts uh, that should have been found uh, in, in a light favoring the non-moving party, the, the plaintiff uh, school children in, in this case. Uh, Council, if you could, if you get a little closer, closer to the mic and maybe bend it down towards you a little bit. Or there we go. How's this? Much better. Oh, I hear it myself. Much better. Thank you. So, uh, <clears throat> most specifically, the district court um, at, it, <clears throat> at the slip opinion at, 10, at pages 10 and 11 found, uh, disagreed with the plaintiffs that the cause of this huge uproar, the disruption that the school district claimed uh, w with some basis in fact, it was the worst dis disruption heard or experienced by the administrators in their entire career, uh, which the school district blamed on the plaintiff school children. The district court disagreed that there was a contested material fact as to the cause of that disruption. Uh, we set out in, in our brief that pages 28 and 32 to 34 uh, the, the facts that put that causal finding at, at issue. Um, those facts uh, most predominantly are uh, that initially the, the students acknowledged that they uh, were the cause of a small disruption in two classrooms and some emails on the day after uh, the petition was circulated. They acknowledged they were the cause of that. They acknowledged uh, that it was a stupid mistake on their part and that they deserve some punishment for it. But later that same evening on that Friday, the school district sent out a blast email in which they greatly um, misrepresented what had happened, calling it a racial incident, not identifying the race of the students involved, making it sound as though something terrible had happened, um, uh, and leaving the implication which many um, uh, of, the, of those receiving it and experiencing their understanding of it from social media understood that this was a bunch of white students um, making racially disparaging uh, racist statements. Uh, Council, in that regard, did, did that... Uh Explanation from the school omit the race of the uh, children involved. It did not. They they omitted. It omitted the race of the students involved, uh, which was which was a a, a material fact. As as the record establishes, this petition was created and circulated primarily by a biracial black and, and Brazilian student plaintiff A and TRL who is black uh, at the time. Um, the school district believed that Plaintiff A was white. His mother had registered in him as white. He was biracial, black, and Brazilian, registered as white, and the school district believed him to be white. Um, and this, the school district um, did not explain that the, even though they knew at that time that this was a, uh, intended as a joke, it was intended by these 14 and 15 year olds to, to be contained within the 25 or 26 members of the freshman football team. Um, um, 
where that kind of racial bantering had gone on and where TRL, who was material to the creation and circulation of this petition, um, had, had long uh, joked about his own race, that race was something that these kids talked about, they experienced in their own lives, and it was all friendly banter, and that there, were, there, were, there was no racial antagonism. The record is completely devoid of any kind of racist antagonism, mean-spirited, uh, or improper kind of racial joking. Counsel, and yet, would you agree, though, that uh, school policy could be violated regardless of the race of the person? Yes, and, and the students accepted that. They, they acknowledged when they were interviewed the day after that they had done this, they had committed this. Um, they expected that they would be suspended for three or five or ten days um, for, the, for this stupid joke. Um, and um, uh, of course it was a violation. These 14- and 15-year-old kids were joking among themselves in a friendly way uh, because TRL, um, and it's uncontradicted, had, set, had been joking for a long time that he wanted the job, he needed a job, and maybe he ought to become a slave. That was something he had brought up himself. Well, is it, as I understand the facts, TRL was unknown to the school district at that time? He was what? Unknown to the school district at the time. No, that's absolutely wrong. The district court repeatedly says that the plaintiffs never brought to the attention uh, of the of the school district the involvement of TRL. But um, the addendum at page 29, when plaintiff A is first interviewed, he's asked names of other students involved. The first name he names is TRL. In those interviews, the day after the um, incident, TRL is named three times. Then. 13 days later, 12 days later, they, are, they interview teammates, and TRL is named six times. The day after that, on September 27th, the mother of Plaintiff C writes a detailed email to those uh, school district administrators involved in the investigation, explaining the, pointing out the role TRL played, and that email is at page 896 in the addendum. So the school district was on on notice, and yet they were hands-off TRL because, and this is our equal protection argument, uh, because th they have been experiencing suspensions of minority students at a rate of three or four times that of white students. They had adopted a policy of, where possible, not suspending black students and working with them to support them rather than suspending them. And so TRL was the beneficiary of this policy, which was widely known and circulated among administrators. Don't suspend black kids where possible. Support them rather than suspend them. And this is a perfect example of what happened. TRL is named repeatedly from day one, uh, identified, uh, but, but the <coughs> school district is hands-off as to him. And so... Um, Where would we find the record evidence to show that there was this policy? All right. This policy... Uh, it's explained in the brief at pages 3 to 4 and 23 to 24. Um, we note there that the racial disparity as to suspensions is three to four times. The district found that disparity to be very concerning. Um, they had adopted a policy to not suspend blacks, but instead to support them. They communicated that policy widely to district administrators. Here, plaintiffs were viewed as all white. They viewed plaintiff A as white, even though he was biracial. Uh, the race of the students is established in the appendix at page 659 and 660. 
and the black student TRL was not suspended, and the school and the district court denied us discovery on the data that we would have been able to use to establish uh, this disparity in punishment between blacks and whites that, that w would have provided data uh, as to this variance where they're supporting blacks rather than suspending them. Is TRL similarly situated to the plaintiffs in the, in the sense, let me finish, in the sense that TRL didn't admit his involvement and the plaintiffs did? He what, did or did not? Did not. Yes, he denied it. Yes, his credibility is very much at issue. But he is similarly situated um, um, because uh, to determine whether somebody is similarly situated, you have to see what the government action is. What are we talking about here? And here, are, here the, the plaintiff's school children were being suspended for conduct of, uh, of, of creating and circulating what was then called a racist uh, petition. It was that conduct. So let, let me ask you to dig a little bit yes. deeper into that. For this equal protection, similarly situated analysis, Yes, I'd like to know specifically what each defendant was accused of doing in terms of violating school policy. Each plaintiff? Each school children? I'm sorry, yes. Each, uh, each student. Yes, yes. So they were, they, it, it, the, the letter, the final letters of, of notice um, are in the record. I don't have the page number here. Um, they're, they're in the addendum. They were accused of conduct in creating and circulating a petition. Plaintiff A, um, uh, in discussing this with TRL, the two of them came up with the idea. Plaintiff A created the petition on change.org. Uh, Plaintiff A asked TRL if he could take his picture uh, in the light viewed most favorably to the non-moving party. Um, TRL agreed. Plaintiff A put it in the petition. He pushed the button and circulated it. The other three uh, commented on it. They added but, but, but their comments. But in the actual notice of discipline, were there differences in between the conduct of the different students? No, they were all given almost identical letters in which it said that they, their conduct was in creating and circulating um, uh, 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 this petition. What about the comments that were made? I think a couple of the students commented on the post. Yes, the, the, the BC and D commented on it, and for that they were suspended. Their, their actions were actually doing the comment. That was their conduct. So what I'm trying to get at is whether they really were similarly situated. If some maybe were accused of more conduct or different conduct. Well, so to answer both yours and Judge Grinder's question, they were, to determine whether someone is similarly situated, you have to look at what the governmental action is. And here the governmental action uh, is acknowledged by their suspension letters that they were being punished for conduct in creating and circulating this petition. And so three, four of them actually pushed the buttons. TRL did not push a button, but he was part of the idea of doing it. He consented to it, um, and viewed in the light most favorable to the non-moving party. It would not even have been circulated but for TRL's consent. He consented to his photograph being taken and being posted. It never would have happened without it. And so it's, it, the analogy is like if a, uh, if a, a warehouse manager comes to a janitor and says, burn down the warehouse, they're both... Uh, um, the conduct for which they would be criminally punishment um, is is the arson. They're both involved, even though only one did it. Um, and, and, and Mr. Benson, though, as I understand the school district's argument, it is that the plaintiffs admitted their involvement, TRL did not, and that they did a, 
an investigation as best they could, yes. couldn't determine, you know, I guess to the level they wanted to, that TRL was involved. Well, uh, so I, I beg to differ about that they did an investigation to the best of their ability. They didn't interview TRL for many, many months, even though, as I started at the very beginning, recited all the pages where he was identified as being involved in the creation of it by students, um, uh, teammates who weren't even accused of this, and, and identified by Plaintiff C at page 896 um, uh, of, of, their, of their role. So, yes, they, um, um, the school district had an obligation uh, to conduct an investigation, but if you deny it, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You, you should, that does not make you um, less likely to be similarly situated just because you deny it. In fact, that would, that would be a perverse incentive in the law to, to say that anybody uh, could avoid this just by, by lying about it or denying about it. And we have several sections in our brief where we point out that the credibility of TRL was very much at question. He told OM... Um, he tried to get OM to, to sign the petition. He told OM on the very day, don't tell anybody about my involvement. Uh, this, I could get in really big trouble about this. And, and he acknowledged to GS, these are all in the brief, he acknowledged to GS uh, his involvement in this. The school district knew from what other students had told them, being identified first off that TRL was involved. They instead, they took this hands-off approach uh, to not suspend, if they had if they had found uh, early on the role of TRL, he would have been suspended along with the others, contrary to this effort uh, to avoid uh, suspending and instead supporting. And so they are, Mr. Benson. Yes. We're within your, well within your rebuttal time. You can con continue if you like, or reserve. Uh, I, I will say what's left. Thank you for reminding me, Judge. Right. Thank you, Mr. Hatley. Council, would you help us in the record in terms of when the school district was made aware of TRL and would have had a responsibility to investigate his involvement? Yes. Uh, there were some, frankly, misstatements of fact in the presentation you just heard. Um, in the record, uh, Dr. Josh Colvin submitted a supplemental declaration um, outlining his investigation. And that investigation or that, that supplemental declaration is in the appendix at pages 552 to 559. And in that declaration, Dr. Colvin says that he interviewed TRL for the first time in September of 2021. Well, counsel, I don't think the question is when he bothered interviewing him, but when did he know about it? When they, they knew about him, uh, whenever the plaintiffs submitted their written statements immediately after and TRL was interviewed, very soon after, not months later, as you just heard, within a matter of days later. And what was happening was every time the plaintiffs would come up with some new bit of information, you know, it initially just said, well, a lot of people are involved. But then, for instance, at the board disciplinary hearing, they brought out new information. So they went and re-interviewed them again. We had a preliminary injunction hearing in January of 2022. We got new information. The story kept changing especially from Plaintiff A. And every time Plaintiff A came in, changing his story or adding new information about TRL, Dr. Colvin went back and interviewed him. He interviewed him three different times. And the other thing that Dr. Colvin did, and we point this out in his brief, is he looked at the video. 
because there was a bus video with audio of this entire incident on the way there and on the way back. Is the video in the record? It is not. It is not in the record. Plaintiffs chose not to put it in the summary judgment record, so it's not in the record. But Dr. Colvin's observations and what he saw from viewing that video are, and it's in the supplemental declaration that he submitted. And Dr. Colvin uh, watched that over and over and over again as he testified, both in his deposition and in his supplemental declaration. And what he was finding in that video was that the things that the plaintiffs, especially Plaintiff A, were accusing TRL of doing were not substantiated by that video. He could not find that. For instance, he deduced that the photograph that Mr. Benson said was taken with his consent was not, in fact, taken with his consent, that he was essentially tapped on the shoulder, turned around, and the photo was taken. And the photo that appeared on this petition did not appear to be a posed photo. It appeared to be one, from Dr. Colvin's standpoint, that was taken without TRL's consent or knowledge. So Dr. Colvin also noted through this video review that especially on the ride back, after the petition became uh, cause celeb, if you, if you will, and start, had started to spread already, that TRL jumped up and told everyone on the bus, he said, you guys need to apologize. This was wrong. You're all done. And Dr. Colvin's taking all this information, accounting for the fact we're dealing with high school freshmen who are not necessarily always reliable narrators. <laughs> uh, Dr. Colvin is looking at this video information in his own observations of the students, and he basically draws the conclusion this is not something that someone would say or do if they were, in fact, involved in creating this petition in the manner that the plaintiffs claim he was. In what we know from Supreme Court jurisprudence, Wood versus Strickland, federal courts are not supposed to be getting involved in reweighing credibility determinations that school administrators make. As long as students are given procedural due process, which happened here in SCADs, Federal courts, it's not their job to go in and reweigh the evidence, reinterpret board policies, retry a student discipline matter. So the district court judge here appropriately took a hands-off approach to reweighing these conflicting stories, found that there was procedural due process. And in fact, the plaintiffs have had to acknowledge there was procedural due process here because they've conceded the propriety of their suspensions. Council, with regard to the equal protection claim, could you address the, the issue that we brought up with Mr. Benson regarding whether the comparators were similarly situated? Yes. Uh, that, that is really the heart of the argument that I wanted to make or at least start out with. Plaintiff A posted the petition, Start Slavery Again. The other plaintiffs posted comments, I hate blacks, I love slavery, I want a slave. TRL did not post anything. He did not create the petition. He uh, didn't post any of those racially inflammatory comments, and that's why he's not similarly situated. Even if one were to believe that he was involved to the extent they say he was, he didn't do those things. And it was that, those comments and the petition itself and the title of that petition that caused the disruption, that led to the disruption. And they've conceded that it led to a disruption, as they must, because they've conceded the propriety of being suspended to some extent. Their real beef is not with the fact they were suspended because they're acknowledging that. Their beef is that we got suspended for too long. 
And that's simply not the role of federal courts. I'd also want to point out something uh, to the extent they're claiming that this, uh, I don't want you to think there's no judicial review. Under state law, they actually had a state law remedy under Missouri law. Missouri statute 167.161.3 allows a de novo review of student discipline matters in state court. That was an option the plaintiffs had here. If they felt the district had weighed the evidence the wrong way, if they felt that the district had misinterpreted its policies, they had the ability to do that. But instead, they went to federal court and filed an equal protection claim where the burden is so much higher and where the ability of federal courts to review this is significantly constrained by Supreme Court precedent. Do so, they still have that ability or is it too late? It's too late. It's too late because under state law it has to be done within, I believe, 30, 45 days. It's a fairly short, it's a fairly short fuse, but it's basically treated as an administrative appeal under the Missouri Administrative Procedure Act. So they had options. But they chose this option, and the evidence simply isn't there to support uh, the claims they're making. Counsel, I think part of their argument is that they were ultimately punished not for their conduct, but for the, quote, huge disruption, part of which may have been caused by the omissions made in the school's communication to the school uh, community. Yes. Um, I would... First of all, I think we know, and I've, we've cited this in our brief, that this is basically a proximate cause argument. Uh, that yes, we started the fire, but we're not responsible for the fact that the fire got out of control. Well, we cited a case from the District of Oregon, um, obviously not compelling or not controlling precedent, but Damiano versus Grants Pass School District Number 7, we cited that on page 44 of our brief. And those exact same arguments were rejected there. Uh, just as the district court did here. In that case, some teachers had engaged in some violations of district policy, school district policy, and they were disciplined for that, but they were claiming that the reactions of other people to their policy violations were really the cause of the disruption that their policy violations, uh, or that the, uh, that, uh, were the cause of the disruption. And what the court said there applies with, with equal force here, and it's also true under Missouri law, which this court can look to in 1983 cases for proximate cause, that if your conduct is the but-for cause, if none of this would have happened but for your conduct, you cannot blame the way other people react to it, including the people who are trying to put out the fire to evade responsibility for your conduct. So they, they've made that argument under the guise of procedural due process, which really is, makes no sense at all. But the point is, their conduct started the fire. They lit the match. They, they started the fire. The school district tried to put that fire out. Well, it wouldn't really help them unless they can show uh, unequal treatment uh, among similarly situated. Uh, right, exactly. And, and the school district here, I mean, basically what they're doing is second-guessing the school district's approach, approach to crisis management. Because what the evidence did show was that on the day of the, the next day, because this occurred on a Thursday, I believe, the following day, Friday, before the school district sent any emails out, there were teachers writing to the principal emails, my students are in class, they are upset, I've got students crying. Um, there was a lot of unrest already in the school that day. 
And, and as we know, this was done through social media. It was a Snapchat thing that one of the teammates did not appreciate. He didn't think it was very funny. He screenshotted it. He sent it around. So by the next morning, actually that evening, it had already spread. Someone had made a screenshot and had put it out on Twitter. They had tagged the school district. It had already started the following day. So basically, this, and, and their position seems to be that school district, you should have treated this as the joke that they intended. Or in your email, you should have said they were joking. There were a lot of people who didn't find this very amusing. There were students who didn't find this amusing. And frankly, it would have been an insult for the school district to say, oh, we're just going to laugh this off. We're going to let this go. This was a joke. Because the reality is that under Title VI, school districts have an affirmative obligation to act on racial harassment and discrimination. They can't be deliberately indifferent to it. And their real beef is with the steps the school district took to try to show that they weren't being deliberately indifferent to this. But they can't evade responsibility for it by claiming that the school district sent out an email in an effort to try to quell the disruption and to let people know that we're not just going to sweep this under the rug. So that, that I think, is the response to that question. Um, as I pointed out, you know, the, the concept that we're not going as federal courts to interfere much with the length of a disciplinary decision is predicated on procedural due process. That's why we don't get involved Counsel, in Counsel, would you address the appellant's initial statements and arguments of, that there were and are genuine contested facts that need to be resolved or should have been resolved by the district court and that was error? Yes. Um, federal courts do not get involved in adjudicating disputes of, of, of facts in the school setting. We cited two cases for that proposition. And this gets to the point I was going to make, that if you've provided procedural due process in the school level, which happened here, school, uh, federal courts are not going to get involved in sussing out the differing student accounts of what happened. Otherwise, we federalized every dispute in a school setting. Any student who feels like they didn't believe me they should have believed me, they, didn't, they should have believed me and not the other person, that doesn't create a material factual dispute. Because if you've provided procedural due process under Goss versus Lopez and its progeny, which happened here, that's why there's not a material fact that would have precluded summary judgment here because it's not the role of federal courts to relitigate those evidentiary issues or those credibility issues that come up day after day in the school setting. We cited two cases for this, and I, I want to draw the court's attention. One is from the Third, Third Circuit. It's on page 35 of our brief, Schumann versus Penn Manor. And that was literally a he said, she said case where there was sexual contact in a school. Male student had sexual contact with a female student. Uh, the male student said this was consensual. The female student said, no, it was not. The male student got suspended. The female student did not. He filed an equal protection claim. Third Circuit affirmed summary judgment, even though you had this dispute between two students as to what happened. Because there had been procedural due process given to the male student, and they're not similarly situated given the determination, <coughs> excuse me, by the administrators that um, uh, this, the male, student, uh, male student's position was to be believed even though you had that fact dispute. 
And in the second case, and we discussed this at length on page 36, Saba versus Springfield School District, says that students were not similarly situated. Again, where the principal testified, one, one, one of the students, the one who got disciplined was Arab American, the one who did not get disciplined was white. The Arab American said the white student was involved in this, should have been disciplined. The principal testified, I looked into this and I simply could not find enough evidence to support uh, the imposition of discipline on the white student. I think these two cases illustrate how federal courts handle the very question you raised. Factual disputes about what happened within the school setting are not fodder for federal litigation. We provide the accused student with procedural due process. That's their opportunity to get it out there. But we have to accept the credibility determinations that, that the school administrators make. One last point. And, and then I, I see my time is up. Mr. Benson said that there was a policy in the school district not to discipline black students. That's simply false. All that had happened was that the school district had recognized there was a racial disparity. But at that point, because of COVID, they had not had a chance to implement anything. There were no policies of any kind that would say we're not going to discipline black students. That's simply not true. It's not supported by the record. We would ask that the court affirm the lower court's decision. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hatley. Mr. Benson? It was not a written policy, as explained um, uh, in our brief at uh, 23 and 24. It was a practice. The superintendent, in her deposition, acknowledged that it was the practice not to suspend blacks where possible and instead to support them. Um, um, whether it's a practice or a policy uh, is, is immaterial. Um, um, uh, Mr. Hatley said TRL stood up in the bus and said, you guys need to apologize. That was in the return bus after this had already hit the proverbial fan. And that's when TRL also told OM, don't let anybody know about my involvement. He stood up uh, starting to cover himself. Uh, due process um, actually got the GOSS standard we both agree on was, was not complied with here. We explained in our brief there's more than just notice uh, and opportunity for a hearing. It requires an explanation of the evidence. And here the explanation of the evidence that was withheld had to do with the material contested issue as to who caused this huge disruption, <clears throat> um, uh, whether or not it was the blast emails uh, that badly misstated uh, the uh, the facts of the case or, or not. Uh, running out of time here. Uh, the, um, the the but-for uh, issue uh, uh, does not apply here because where your conduct is causes foreseeable, if you're coming in and instead of putting out the fire, you do something that spreads the fire and that's foreseeable, then uh, um, uh, then that exception does not apply. All right, thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Benson. Thank you also, Mr. Hadley. The court appreciates both counsel's participation and argument before the court this morning. Uh, it's helpful. We'll continue to study the briefing and render decision in due course. Thank you. Counsel may be